Jesus, we recognize that you are the light of the world. You illuminate the dark places of our world, and you also bring light to the dark places of our inner world that then bring change to our lives, helpful change. You helpfully expose sin in us. You shine a light on how we need you as our one and only Savior. Um, we thank you for the opportunity that you invite us to into your kingdom of light, and we're so grateful. We don't deserve that. Uh, Father, we ask that you would show us, as we look at this passage in John chapter 9, show us the meaning of, of our suffering and make sense of our suffering. Would you also ignite in us an urgency, an increased urgency to spread the light of Jesus into our dark world and help us to trust in you as our light that we would then receive heaven and full forgiveness of our sins instead of judgment. Uh, help me to speak today your words, Holy Spirit, not my own. I want you to be center stage here, Lord Jesus. Through Christ we pray. Amen. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed. and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit 
and beg. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Okay, what we're looking at, uh, we're basically continuing our new sermon series. We're going through the seven I am statements that Jesus shares uh, with uh, back then and also here today. Uh, we see these in the Gospel of John. Uh, last Sunday was where Jesus t taught that he is, I, he said, I am the bread of the world, or I am the bread of life rather. And today we are looking at how Jesus is the light of the world. And, and basically there are some very deeply profound teachings that Jesus shares with, with us in these I am statements. And this is really important for us to, to examine and to look at because in our world today, in our culture today, there are all kinds of different ideas and opinions about who Jesus is, about his identity and about his nature and what he's done. And so we got to, we have to, what you and I need is to unlock and discover or rediscover what the real Jesus is really like according to the Bible. As I mentioned, the second I am statement from Jesus that we're looking at is where he says, I am the light of the world. And in thinking about light in general, I think that you and I very often underestimate how important light is in our everyday lives. For example, let's talk about uh, the forest. Uh, that might be a stretch, but let's talk about the West Coast forest in particular. And when you go to a forest, whether it's at Golden Ears Park or elsewhere, you will notice when you enter that forest just how much uh, vegetation there is, how much greenery and, and tree, trees are in that forest and how often, how large uh, these trees are. In fact, if you look at the trees and you look at the vegetation on the forest floor, you will notice that they're, they're, they're sort of drawn literally upwards and they're being drawn upwards. Why? Because they are seeking the light uh, from the sun. Now, why do they want light from the sun? Well, it's because the forest is, in a sense, actually feeding, eating on the light it receives from the sun. The light shines down on the plant or tree, and then that, that tree or that plant turns that light into food via photosynthesis. You see, I'm very scientific. Not really. But anyhow, I went to science class in grade four. Uh, but anyhow, forests can't live, you see. They can't live. They can't exist. They can't eat. They can't thrive. They can't survive uh, without light. And so it is with you. So it is with me. You see, every single person who has ever lived and every single person in this room currently, uh, Jesus makes it clear that without his light for your soul in your life, without a relationship with Jesus, there's actually no spiritual light in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. There's nothing but spiritual darkness in your life without Jesus. There's nothing but the deceptive and blinding power of sin uh, in your life that you are a slave to. And there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than walking around in the dark. There's nothing worse than that. And so without Jesus, you can't thrive like a West Coast forest thrives in the light of the sun. And we are talking about not the S-U-N, we're talking about the S-O-N, his light shining in your life. You know, you and I were meant for and designed for to have this real day-by-day uh, -day re real relationship with Jesus, with the light of the world. And without Jesus, we simply can't see reality for what it is. So here's the big idea. Here's the main point I want to share with you today. And I think it's on the screen and in your notes. It's, it's simply this. Jesus, the light of the world, helps you. Three things. He helps you make sense of your suffering. Secondly, he helps you urgently pursue the Father's mission. And thirdly, 
Jesus, the light of the world, helps you receive spiritual sight and light instead of judgment and darkness. So very helpful stuff. Some of you feel like in the room, you might feel just generally lost. Just lost. I've lost my way. I don't know where I'm going in my life. I don't know what my purpose is. Uh, you, you might be a not yet Christian or you might be a long time Christian as well. And, and maybe as a Christian, you kind of feel like you've, you've lost your way. I don't know what direction I'm supposed to be headed into. And my prayer is, is that this message is helpful for you both, whether you're a not yet Christian or a Christian, and that this may assist you in getting back on track spiritually to receive the spiritual light from Jesus that you need, you require to survive and to thrive with Christ. All right, let's get into it. We're going to do, a, hopefully, this may be a bad idea, but I'm going to do a quick recap of the Bible story that you saw a video of. And this is an amazing object lesson that Jesus gives to the people then and also here today for us as well in John chapter 9. You can crack open that Bible and examine that chapter just to make sure I'm actually taking this from Scripture. And imagine that scene. Um, in just a short time in this Bible story, the crucifixion of Jesus is about to occur. And the place that the story takes place in is ancient Jerusalem. And they are fairly close to uh, the pool of Siloam that is within that ancient city of Jerusalem. And you see the pool near the bottom of this awesome map. I could look at maps all day, and that's why it's on the screen, just so that you can also enjoy this wonderful map. And it is here near this area of this pool of Siloam where Jesus comes across this blind man. And this guy has been, he's, he was born this way. He has been born without sight. He has never, light has never entered his retinas and, and brought any sort of images to his brain. So he's never, ever seen a single thing in his life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? None of us can. And, and Jesus' disciples, they see this blind beggar on the side of the road, and instead of, like, helping the guy or, or giving him some, some money so he can go buy a coffee, instead of showing him any sort of compassion, uh, you know what the, judge, or sorry, what the disciples do? They decide to judge the guy. Let's judge this poor disabled person on the side of the road instead of actually help the guy. So there's not much compassion in their hearts in this moment. And they then say to Jesus, Jesus, who's to blame for the situation this guy finds himself in? Whose sins caused his blindness? Is he to blame, or is it his parents? Now, before you react with anger and get upset at their reaction, and, and perhaps you're shocked at how compassionless they are, you need to know that in ancient Jewish culture at that time, it was commonly believed that if anyone, or if you had a physical detriment or disability or issue of any kind, well, of course it was your sin or someone else's sins that is, was close to you or is close to you. Of course it was sin that caused this to occur. Now, is this how it works in the world today, by the way? Is sin always the culprit behind physical issues? What's the answer? Well, the answer is yes and no, and this might get me in some trouble, but anyhow, debrief with me after the sermon, okay? In the general, big-picture sense, yes, the, world, the, the reason that the world today is filled with, with brokenness and suffering um, and disabilities, yeah, yeah, it's because of that original sin that entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, they disobeyed God. And at that moment, 
because of their action and their sinful action towards God and disobedience, God rightfully cursed the world at that time. All creation is under a curse because of sin. And so our world in which we live is broken today because of sin. And so, yes, sin is often indirectly uh, beneath our suffering. However, in the, the case of this story here, I want you to notice how Jesus responds to his disciples' compassionless attitude. Basically, Jesus says, it's neither. It's neither the guy's own sin, it's not, not his parents' own sins for why he's blind here. No, 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 he is blind because of a reason, and the reason is to display the work of God in his life and to all the people who would see the work of God working in his life. It's to show God off in this moment. That's why he's blind. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And then Jesus says, and I continue to paraphrase, look, I've got work to do here. We've got work to do, disciples. Time is running out because, and then Jesus says, any guesses? I am the light of the world. All right, darkness is coming, meaning the dark day of Jesus' crucifixion is just around the corner in this timeline. So because of that, Jesus says, while I'm still here, I got, I got to get to work. Next thing that we see here, and this may sound a little bit disgusting, but in the, in the video you also saw, well, they didn't actually show it because it's kind of gross, but Jesus literally spits on the ground, and from that spittle on the ground, he makes mud, and then he applies that spittle mud onto the blind man's eyes, and be, probably on the outside of his eyes, we hope, I think, and then Jesus tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam that we saw on the map there, and the amazing thing is, when Jesus does this, it has echoes from Genesis, the beginning of of humanity when God created the world. At that time when God made Adam, he took the mud and the dirt and the soil of the ground and what he did was he breathed into it and from that dirt and breathing into it, he formed Adam. And there's sort of echoes of that creative work in this story. Isn't that cool? And so the guy, what does he do? He goes to the pool of Siloam. Someone probably leads him there. He washes off the mud from his eyes and sure enough, he opens his eyes and he can see for the first time, for the first time in his life, this is a very good day in the life of this man. We don't know how, how old he was in the story, but he no longer has to beg or live on the street anymore. He can probably get a job now and make some income. He can perhaps get married and maybe have kids and, and start a family, maybe from their grandchildren. Things are looking up here for this guy, thanks to Jesus' creative and restorative power in his life. And long, long story short, the people notice this guy now being able to see, and they're in shock and awe. And I heard that, that Arab, uh, Middle Eastern expression, I should say, in the background where they, they make that high-pitched noise, and they still make that today whenever they're celebrating. And that was probably going on. They're celebrating that this guy who couldn't see, never could see, born that way, can now see. And he, they say, well, who did this to you? Jesus says, or he says, it was Jesus. And that's when the religious guys freak out, the, the Pharisees, they, Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath, and they saw that as a form of work, Jesus shouldn't break the rules. Later, Jesus then catches up with the guy and sort of debriefs with him, asks him, do you believe in me? The guy says, yes, he does. Then he, is, he starts worshiping Jesus, perfect response to Jesus' uh, saving activity and healing activity in his life. And then Jesus lands the plane on this whole story, and he explains why he healed this guy. And he makes it clear, I healed this guy to show everyone, this is why I came. This is why I came. In a spiritual way, I came to help those who can't see spiritually 
to then see. And then he says, to help those who think they can see to then become spiritually blind. I don't have enough time to talk about that angle here. But really, in a sense, he's all about, partially, part of his mission was to confront people who think they don't need Jesus. And this leads us finally to our first uh, spiritual truth and point from this story in your notes. There's a sermon outline in your bulletin, amazingly thrilling to fill in those blanks. Number one is simply, sometimes the Lord will allow you to experience hardship in order to display what he will do through you. Sometimes the Lord will allow you to experience hardship in order to showcase, display what he will do through you. And we get this from John chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. It says, And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. As I mentioned before, in a general sense, yes, our world is broken, it's messed up because of human sin, going back to that first human sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's why there's cancer, there's disease, there's disability, there's hardship in our world today. Further, sometimes, you know, you and I experience hardship in hard times as a direct result of our own sinful uh, decisions. For example, if I get drunk and I decide to drive my car and I then get in a car accident, and perhaps I'm disabled because of that car accident and I've lost my ability to walk, well then, very clearly, my disability is directly connected to my own sinful personal choice. But the thing is, though, the thing that's different about this man born blind from birth, Jesus says he's not blind because of his own sin or because of his parents' sin. Rather, he's blind because God and his all-powerful, sovereign ability to orchestrate this man's life in such a way God allowed this man to be born blind for a purpose, and the purpose is so that the works of God could be displayed, showcased in him in this moment. Let me ask you this question as we try to, I want to personalize this for you. Let me ask you this. Do you think this happened? Oh, sorry, I've lost my way. I apologize. I don't know what I did with my, my notes here. Um, let me just tell you a story. How about that? <laughs> The story I want to share is, is from a, my experience. I used to work at a church in downtown Toronto back in the day, some years ago. And in that church uh, was a man by the name of Stan. Stan was a Scottish guy. He had a Scottish uh, brogue. And I won't try to mimic that for you because I can't do the Scottish accent. And because of diabetes in Stan's life, uh, Stan lost uh, not only each leg from the knee, knee down, uh, but he also lost uh, his eyesight. So he was blind for most of his life, blind for decades. Uh, later, Tammy and I moved out here to Western Canada to then start uh, Mercy Hill Church. But not long after we moved out, uh, we got an update about Stan. And Stan, after being blind for decades, he was receiving ongoing prayer from his church family over those decades. Well, sure enough, Stan starts to get his eyesight back. Little by little by little until eventually his eyesight is restored. He can see again. Now, do you think this happened by chance, by sheer chance? Some people thought it happened by chance at that time. There were doubters. But the thing is, there was a lot of people in that church family, 
They start thanking God for Stan's eyesight being restored. They start worshiping God for God's healing power in his life, that God answered their prayers. took a while, but they never gave up with prayer. And this also additionally caused the Naya Christians in that circle of relationships to be much more open uh, to the gospel now that they're seeing Jesus at work in their midst. It brought more legitimacy to the gospel, if you will. And my point is, like Stan, like the blind man in the story, before you and I start pointing fingers at ourselves or pointing fingers at others, you know, you're undergoing physical suffering because of uh, your, or mental suffering or suffering of any kind. It's, It's obviously because of sin in your life. And let's assume it's sin. Let's make you the blame for that. No, 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 not necessarily. Maybe it's because God has chosen you to display his power and his love and his grace through your suffering. Yes, he may heal you, like he healed Stan, like he healed this blind guy, but he may not. It's possible that like gold is only shaped, gold is only made into something beautiful after going through a hot furnace. It's possible God is, is forging and shaping your character in the furnace of your suffering where then his character, his, his spiritual fruit is seen in you, it's displayed through you. And then those around you take notice, you're a changed person. You're not the person you once were. And they see the patience and the perseverance and the contentment of Jesus and the joy in Jesus and of Jesus in you. And they say, I want also that kind of character and perseverance and faith in me, and very often it can lead them to meet Jesus as well. So sometimes the Lord will allow you to experience hardship in order to display what he will do through you. Sometimes the Lord will allow you to experience hardship in order to display what he will do through you because he loves you. He loves you. Let's move on to a second point from this passage in our notes that we learn from this story about Jesus being the light of the world. And number two is this. If you're a Christian... Let us urgently do the Father's work while we still have time. If you're a Christian, let us urgently do the Father's work while we still have uh, time. And we get this from verse 4. Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. And when Jesus says this, it's interesting because you see he's referring to his own life at the time his life on earth, his ministry on earth here 2,000 years ago, and his life on earth 2,000 years ago, he's referring to that as daytime. Jesus came to bring day to the world's night. He was and is our only hope in this dark world. And then Jesus says, well, night's coming. And the night that he, he probably has in mind here is the night of his death on the cross. All right, Jesus was crucified for us. And on that During that time of Jesus being crucified on the cross, God literally made it a dark day. There was literal darkness to fall upon the land. And Jesus' point here, when he says this to his disciples, is, guys, we got to get to work. God the Father has given me, he's given us work to do, so let's be about it. This is why I'm here. Night is coming, time's running out, the clock is ticking. And shortly after that, what does Jesus do? He heals the blind guy. He heals this blind man. So here's what I want to challenge you with. You see, in the same way, if you are a Christian, 
you are also a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus can be defined as an intern of Jesus, can be defined as a student of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, a learner of the ways of Jesus. That is a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus, who has been saved by Jesus, who trusts in Jesus, relies on Jesus, desires to become more like Jesus and emulate the ways of Jesus. And amazingly, uh, just like Jesus, he involved his 12 disciples in and around them. He invites them into, join me in the Father's work. That's what he was doing. So also is Jesus involving you and I, Christian, in the Father's work here today in 2019. And the Father's work, it is urgent. It is time-specific. The Father's work, the, the window in which we can do or pursue the Father's work is closing. It's closing. Let me illustrate. A short time ago, I bought a different car. It's not a new car. It's a new used car for my wife. It's a long story, but we got rid of a, a Honda Civic and we got a Toyota Matrix, which is a much better vehicle. And there's more room. That's the, the main onus for that decision. And the guy that I bought the Matrix from was a fireman who lived in Aldergrove. And, uh, and so, uh, interestingly, he told me about uh, uh, his situation. And somehow we got talking about the fentanyl crisis, the, the opioid drug crisis that we have here in the Lower Mainland. And, uh, and so he, he discussed how, on occasion... Uh, what they do, his, fire, his fireman's uh, team has to go down to the downtown east side on occasion, and they basically go there. They literally and urgently rush from person to person that they see lying down on the ground and on the sidewalk. And what they then do is administer to them uh, the drug, uh, the naloxone opioid prevention kit. Okay, so they then eject him with this drug that helps reverse the effects of the opioid. Okay. And literally within minutes, and this is him describing this to me, people who are just about to die would resuscitate, would rise up again. It's like they're watching resurrections happen all around them. That was the shift. It's a shift of resurrections kind of thing. All right? And they would recover. Amazing. And, and this, this fireman with his team of people that were with him, they would literally save multiple people's lives every shift that they would do in the downtown east side of Vancouver. It was their mission. It was their job. And they did it well. But they did it urgently, you see. They did it urgently. And here's the thing. Christian, disciple of Jesus, the Father's mission is no less urgent than that mission. In fact, we have a more urgent mission than the opioid crisis, as bad as it is. Our mission is more urgent than that. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that? The reason that Jesus has not yet taken you, Christian, back home to be with him in heaven yet is because you have work to do as a disciple of Jesus, and I have work to do as a disciple of Jesus. We have work to do, and the work that you and I have to do is our church's mission statement, taken from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, which is simply this. Your mission, my mission, is to make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. You and I are to speak and to then live out the gospel about Jesus, and we are to speak these words of light and hope to our lost and hurting and dark world in which people are addicted to everything except Jesus. 
Maybe not addicted to drugs, but maybe addicted to self, addicted to leisure, addicted to all kinds of stuff outside of Jesus. And that's not helpful for them. We must pray for gospel openness to the people in and around us. Lord Jesus, open their hearts, open their minds, open their spirits to the gospel. Lord Jesus, in my workplace, give me, open a door of opportunity, a conversational door in which I might speak about you and show my not-yet-Christian friends the love of Jesus. And give us the boldness and the courage to do that, Lord Jesus. Let's speak about Jesus, his death, his life, death, resurrection that Jesus has earned people salvation because they can't earn salvation in and of themselves. They need Jesus. They need the light of the world. And so here, let me just put it to you as I recap this point. Why? Why would you and I urgently be about the Father's work like Jesus was? It's because night is coming, you see. Night is coming. Your life will come to an end, at which point your work is done. You go on to be with Jesus. That's a good day. But you see, night is coming. Ultimate darkness is coming for the people in your life and in my life who are not yet Christians. Unless God uses you to share Jesus with them, unless they meet Jesus and begin a relationship with Jesus, are saved by Jesus, it's not going to go well for them. And so that's the, that's the urgent piece. That's the motivation. It's love. It's love. It's care. It's compassion. And so as a church family, I, I, I try to use this analogy, you know, the search and rescue analogy, the word picture, and, and I love those pictures that I've seen where literally people are trying to find someone in a field, and there's people lined up, literally locking arms together and walking across the field so that they search every square inch of that field to find the lost person. And that is what we must do in this community and neighborhood in which we live. We lock arms together in this spiritual search and rescue mission in which we find ourselves, and we do this urgently because the Father's work needs to get done while you and I still have time to pursue His work. May we feel that same sort of urgency that Jesus felt back then. All right, let's now move on to our final point from this passage. Uh, number three uh, in your notes about Jesus being the light of the world. And number three is this. Follow Jesus, the exclusive light of the world, in order to have your eyes opened and receive the light of life instead of judgment. Follow Jesus, the exclusive light of the world, in order to have your eyes open and then receive the light of life instead of judgment. We get this from three different uh, verses here from John chapter 9, and also John chapter 8 is our last one. Uh, the first one is 9, uh, verses 10 and 11. It says, So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And so Jesus, miraculously, by his great power, he restores this man's sight. And then later, Jesus explains the point of healing this blind guy, verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Here's why, here's where Jesus explains why he even came to the earth. It's because of judgment, you see. He came because of judgment, God's coming judgment. You see, the Bible is clear. All have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's perfection requirement and perfection standard. And this presents a big problem for you and I. God is infinitely, perfectly holy without sin. Nothing sinful can ever be in a relationship with God or come close to the presence of God. 
In fact, the consequence of our sinning against God and breaking His commandments, like the Ten Commandments, the, the punishment is physical and spiritual death and judgment, and let's just call it what, for what it is. It's true. It's hell. This is not a good destination for you or for anyone. Eternal separation and, judge, and punishment. And yet Jesus here says, I came so that you could avoid that. I came to rescue you. I came to take away your spiritual blindness. I came to take away your sins and pay for them so that you could be restored back into the, the Heavenly Father's arms for whom you were made. The one you were made to be with, that's why I came. And the way Jesus makes forgiveness of your sins possible and makes the removal of your spiritual blindness possible is the gospel. It's when you receive the gospel. And that, the gospel can be summarized as Jesus lived your perfect life for you in your place. Jesus then died for your sins on the cross in your place was forsaken, judged for you. Jesus rose from the dead three days later to beat Satan's sin and death on your behalf forevermore. And now Jesus calls you to respond to him. It's not enough just to hear the gospel. He, he demands that you respond to him with repentance of your sins, with faith and trust that Jesus did this for you, and with the waters of baptism. Look at the promise. If you respond to Jesus in this way, look at the promise that he, he gives to you in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, if you turn to Jesus, you will, you will receive the light of life. That is, an enlightened life. You can finally see in color, in HD. You can finally see reality defined. You see spiritually for the first time. It's a whole new world. The fog of the world is gone. I can finally see. The fog being, you know what the fog is? The fog in our world is very often these kinds of beliefs and ideas. I hear this all the time. I've heard it, I don't know, every day for weeks it seems like. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Of course. That's what our culture is. Do what you want to do, whatever that is. Follow your self-centered dreams. Pursue selfish pleasure. Why wouldn't you? Be all about you. If you're not about you, then who will be about you? Do we not hear this every day? And that's the fog, I'm saying. That is the fog. That is not true. It's not good to pursue those things. And the light of Jesus clears through all of that fog, and it breaks through to your heart and to your mind and to your spirit, and you finally see the world's darkness. You see the fog for what it is, the world's values and philosophies for living that will get you nowhere. That is not going to help you in your, the direction of your life at all. Let me tell you a true, very inspiring story to help illustrate that idea of clearing the fog, clearing the spiritual blindness, so that you can finally see. And the story is a very true story and a very uh, inspiring story. Back in 2017, you may have uh, watched this on 60 Minutes, and they did a story about the work of two eye surgeons by the names of Sanduk Root and Jeffrey Tabin. And these two eye surgeons, uh, they have restored eyesight and brought eyesight to more than 150,000 patients. 150,000 patients in 24 different countries. Further, they have then trained uh, four, uh, uh, I don't know, they've, they've trained a bunch more doctors to do, to do the same thing that they have done. And what these guys do and what they train other eye surgeons to do is, is they have perfected what is known as a small incision cataract surgery. 
I think some in this room have undergone this surgery, actually. But they perfected this small incision cataract surgery. They take it out and they replace it. And it only takes a few minutes. Only costs about $20 per person. $20 per person. And one country in particular that they've targeted and served is the nation of Burma. It may now be called Myanmar. And their mission, these doctors, these eye doctors, their mission, basically, in a nutshell, they want to lead Burma and Myanmar out of darkness. One patient at a time, and then into the light. That's their mission. Isn't that cool? You see, uh, Burma is one of the poorest countries in Asia, and blindness or partial blindness is everywhere because they don't have the money to, be, to take care of their eyes in the first place or then to treat this condition. And the blindness or the partial blindness occurs with the lens, and there's a milky white protein buildup in their cataracts, uh, in and around, that then clouds the, the lens of their eyes. And it's very common, especially those who are older adults in that nation. And so, one by one, they come to these eye doctors, they line up, and there's a huge amount of them every time they, they serve these people. And they line them up, and then the cataracts are replaced, the eye patches are then put on, then the eye patches are removed and peeled away, and for that person, the world comes back into focus again. Light re-enters their eyes again. It's not hitting those, those proteins that are clouding things up anymore. No, no, they got new lenses now, new cataracts. And you see, because of these two men, millions of people can see for the first time in years or in decades, and now they can really live. Now they can really live. Now they can really have joy in their life again. Now they can just do life in a new, fresh way. This is precisely what Jesus Christ does for millions and billions of people today. Spiritually, he replaces stony, sinful hearts, and then he puts in them new, fleshy, forgiven hearts. Jesus removes the darkness and the blinding effect of sin with his light. And now you can really see in HD, you can really live as a new child of God, living with this new identity that you receive from Jesus, this new security that you receive from Jesus, this quiet confidence that you now enjoy from Jesus, this, this new mission that you receive from Jesus, which is the mission of God, to bring light to the dark world. And so let me close by challenging you uh, with a call to action, okay? And I'm pointing the fingers at myself as much as at you. And I'm asking you, what action do you need to take in response to the light of the world today? Is Jesus shining light on, exposing how you need to see suffering now as a possible means to display God's work in your life in some way? Is Jesus shining light on how he is calling you to join him in the Father's work and to urgently live out and share the gospel about Jesus to save as many people as you can boldly, winsomely, lovingly, compassionately? And lastly, is Jesus shining light on how you need to take your spiritual blindness and sin to him? Give him your sin. Give him your spiritual blindness. That unless you turn to Jesus, only judgment for your sins awaits you. You don't want that. You don't want that. No one wants that. I'm saying turn to Jesus today so that you can really live, see in HD spiritually for the first time 
to be forgiven, to expel the darkness in your life, and then join Jesus in his mission to tell others about the light of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this amazing object lesson that you've shown us. Lord, if we've lost our way, bring us back to you. We don't know where we're going. We feel lost. We're caught in the fog. It's hard to see. Lord, dispel that in us. Show us those areas of our lives, if we're already a Christian, that we just need to just deal with head on and just put sin behind us and not allow ourselves to get entangled with that sin any longer so that we can see clearly now to pursue your mission more urgently now. Lord, if we are not yet a Christian, I pray that something has clicked, that they would take this news about you, that you are their light, and receive you, that they would repent, repent of their sins, put their trust in the gospel, and be baptized. Lord, we wouldn't receive any light without your saving action through the gospel, and we come to the time of the Lord's Supper to remember and celebrate all that you've done for us. I pray that we would just examine our lives in this moment. Through Christ we pray. Amen.